In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Please be seated. This is the penultimate Sunday of Epiphany. We have one more Sunday left. Uh, Next week will be the last Sunday in Epiphany, and we will be uh, learning about the Transfiguration as this last kind of great example of how the Lord manifests Himself, how He makes Himself known to the world. We've been continuing to reflect upon the way He makes Himself known to us as individuals and the way He makes Himself known to the church. We've seen Him make Himself known to the disciples, the way that He uh, goes to them and calls them from John the Baptist by the River Jordan and then by the Sea of Galilee and the way that uh, he is bringing them into his ministry with them. Uh, We see him now uh, making himself known to the town through his miracles. And this uh, primary miracle we see that he does on behalf of Simon Peter uh, for his mother-in-law. It's a very important pattern that we see over and over again in the healings and the Gospels that the Lord very often heals people uh, on behalf of someone else. So we see a mother calling for healing for her son or a a master for his servant. Here we see this son-in-law calling for healing for his mother-in-law and uh, we see the Lord heal her and uh, and he um, calls her up to to serve and she responds uh, with this humility of service uh, not because um, we see Peter saying the right things not because we see the mother-in-law saying or doing the right things but because of Christ's love for them and the mother-in-law serves out of her love as well so we see this response uh, out of love The people, of course, press on for the miracles, and we see this all the way through the Gospels again, this uh, way that the crowds press on him, not because of the preaching of the kingdom of God, which is why Jesus says that he's come. He's come to preach and to proclaim the Father. He is coming to proclaim the kingdom of God. The crowds press on him uh, through and because of these miracles, and we see then that he's manifested, he's made known to this city so that the whole city comes out to uh, meet him at the house because of the of the healings the miracles and then we see jesus wake up early in the morning and go out from that place and again the crowds are searching for him and the disciples searching for him because of the healing and jesus reminds them i'm here to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of god i'm here to tell people about their relationship with god uh, not for this one-time healing right Uh, but to bring them into this right relationship with the father and so that's what he goes to the next towns to pursue And this is what Jesus is teaching us to do, uh, not just to know him in the sense that the demons do, which is worthless to them, but to come to uh, live according to his will, to seek his ways. And it's that hunger for the Father, that hunger that Jesus shows, and going aside to pray that we see with the Shunammite woman here in this uh, wonderful story about Elisha. Indeed, uh, she's one of my favorite characters in Scripture, and we don't even know her name. We don't even hear what her name is. It's just the woman, right? Uh, And yet she has uh, an example, a living example of the way that we're supposed to be hungering and thirsting for the kingdom of God. She is uh, not in need. She tells this to Elisha. She says, I live among my own people. We read that she's wealthy. Uh, We read that she has everything materially that she needs. But she's on the lookout for righteousness. So much so that when Elisha is walking by her house, she says, here's a holy man of God. Let me invite him into my home. And so she 
she invites Elisha into her home. And we see that she's inviting him again and again to meal in her house. So she is inviting righteousness into her house when she invites Elisha because she's on the lookout for it. Once she's invited righteousness into her house, she has been discerning and perceiving that he is a man of God. And this is what uh, we read last week in Deuteronomy, right? That we're supposed to be listening to what the prophets say, seeing what it is that they do, and perceiving whether they are following according to the will of God. And so she perceives that Elisha is just that, and she says, let us make a, a room for him. We get incredible detail about this room, don't we? It doesn't just say they built a room and he stayed there. But we get detail about the furniture in the room. We don't get her name, but we hear what kind of furniture goes into the room. Isn't that interesting? The fathers point out that this is for our edification and benefit because we are supposed to be living a life in a room like this. We are supposed to be dedicating ourselves to the activities that these pieces of furniture represent. Indeed, everyone with a ministry, with a call in the church, has a piece of furniture that goes along with what they're supposed to be doing, right? This is my piece of furniture, right? An usher might have this piece of furniture, right? Uh, Or the door or the collection plate. Uh, A lector might have this piece of furniture. What are the pieces of furniture that the the people of God are supposed to have? A bed that we lay upon to listen for the voice of the Lord. We see this with the boy Samuel. A table on which to set the Holy Scriptures and our Book of Common Prayer so that we're able to dedicate ourselves to reading the Word and to daily prayer. A place to sit so that we can read and meditate. A lamp by which that we're supposed to be reading that. This is the daily life of the Christian. We are all called to this daily life of prayer and reflection upon the word of God and listening for his voice in the quiet. And so we have all of these pieces of furniture representing this this holy life that the woman invites into her house. And then Elisha wants to give her something. She already told him, I don't need anything. And then on Gehazi's urging, right, he says, you'll have a son. Again, she follows this pattern that we see over and over again, right? All the way to Abram and to Sarah, right? That are too old to have children. Her husband is an old man. They're past the age of having children. And the Lord says, or Elisha says, I'm going to bless you uh, with a child. And in my vernacular, she says to him, don't mess with me. Right? Don't mess with me. That's not the kind of thing that you go just promising to people. This is a serious thing to have a son, to have a child. So if you're going to do this, do this, but don't, don't just talk about it, right? And I haven't asked for this. She gets a son, and we read that he matures. And he's able to mature so that he's working with his father in the field, and then he dies. So many people, perhaps myself included, at this point would be full of drama. Talking to everybody, right? Oh, the Lord gave me this and then he took it away. Uh, They would go to their husband, right? Do something. Do something about your son. Hurry quick. You've got to do something about this. Talking to the servants. Crying out to neighbors. She tells the husband, everything's fine. Don't worry about it. Why? Because she knows he can't do anything about it. When she goes to find Elisha, And Gehazi meets her. She says, everything's fine. Why does she do that? Why does she say that to him? Because he can't do anything about it. She's not messing around, this woman. She's not just talking to anybody. She knows exactly who she needs to go to for help. She goes to the man of God and she 
grabs onto his leg. She's not going to let him go. And what does she say to him? I told you, do not mess with me. You gave me the son and then let him die? You're messing with me. And Elisha goes and he goes into the room and he does what any good Jew is not supposed to do. Right? The last thing he's supposed to do is go into a room with a dead body, let alone lay on him, let alone put his mouth to him. Right? The Jews knew what we do about illness. They knew that he would be unpure spiritually and physically. He wouldn't be able to do anything else after this. The purification, it's past what anything they were warned about. To breathe on him in this way face to face. He does it out of his love for the Lord and for this woman and for her son. For the same reason that the Lord heals all out of love and out of necessity. In other words, Elisha didn't really have a choice. He didn't have the benefit of referring back to the law. This is how St. Paul tells us that we are supposed to be living and working in the church. He says, we are supposed to be doing the things that God has given us to do out of necessity. Don't tell the vestry. Keep it to yourselves. But I would preach for free. You don't have to pay me to do this. I'd be doing this, and I did do it just with my family in the living room before we came and invited other people to worship with us. Right? Yesterday... Again, please don't tell the vestry, I clean toilets. Who asked me to clean the toilets in the church? Nobody. Nobody needed to. I knew it needed to be done. I perceived it, and out of necessity, I knew that I needed to do that. Nobody had to ask me to do it or remind me to do it. I did it out of a need that the Lord placed upon my heart to do it. Now, they do have to pay me to go to meetings and to sign pieces of paper and to do all this administrative stuff. That you have to pay me for, right? But for the things that the Lord has put on my heart, I'm going to do no matter what. Every Christian is called to serve the Lord out of necessity. Each of you has a job that the Lord has given you to do, that He's calling you to do out of love, that nobody needs to ask you to do, that you come to offer before Him out of necessity. You have to do it. Each of us has a job that we are called to do out of necessity, out of our love for the Lord. Isn't it amazing that Jesus wakes up early in the morning to go away to the Father? He's one with the Father. He's the second person of the Trinity. He is eternal with the Father. And yet he wakes up early. Where have we seen this before? Does this remind you of Abraham rising up early to sacrifice Isaac? That early morning waking that we see over and over again? He does that out of necessity and love. There are some times when it takes a an early morning flight or it takes a special kind of appointment or it takes some urging of money to get us to to wake up especially early and to dedicate ourselves 
But when we have that love and when we have that need written upon our hearts, we wake up with a kind of an urgency and an immediacy that needs no reminder. May we, each of us, be filled with the love of God and the necessity of serving Him and His people so that we are continually seeking intimacy with our Father and the salvation of our neighbor. This day and forevermore.